Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. This morning, men, you are in the spotlight. You are in the spotlight. We're going to talk about how Christian men, <clears throat> we're experiencing some technical difficulties, but the first blank there is Christian men treasure their marriage. Christian men treasure their marriage. A humanistic psychologist, Dr. Carl Rogers, recognized the problem that our culture, that our nation is in. And so he made the statement that you see on your notes that if 50 to 75% of Ford or General Motors cars completely fell apart within the early part of their lifetimes as automobiles, drastic steps would be taken. We have so much, well actually, we have no such well-organized way of dealing with our social institutions, so people are groping, more or less blindly, to find alternatives to marriage, which is less than 50% successful. Living together without marriage, living in communes, extensive childcare centers, serial monogamy, going from one divorce to another, divorce laws which do away with the concept of guilt, these are all gropings towards some new form of man-woman relationship for the future. And of course we know that it's gone beyond man-woman relationships now. He said it would take a bolder man than I am to predict what will emerge. And recently I just posted something which was a graph about what people are being equipped to do in life with regard to marriage and kids. And the person who made the original graph was bemoaning the fact that they're not trained. Well, by God's grace, we in the Christian community uh, have great tools that God has provided for us. And they complement and fulfill his word and show his word in all of his glory. So... Very important to recognize that 2 Timothy 3.1 very plainly states that in the last days, difficult times will come for people will be lovers of self. And that little uh, top tier of the cake showing the husband's head stuck in the uh, fondant and the bride sticking up represents the fact that there is something today called sologamy. There was a woman in Italy who had a marriage ceremony for herself. And this is a rising trend within our culture. We're seeing an overwhelming amount of self-centeredness, selfishness, self-absorption, self-indulgement, and self-satisfaction. People are looking only for self-satisfaction and falling more in love with themselves to the point that there is this phenomenon called sologamy, self-marriage, which isn't a binding legal affair. Supporters of the practice argue that it affirms one's value and leads to a happier life. The concept of self-marriage has gained enough popularity that there are actual kits out there that you could purchase, including a single wedding ring, vows, and affirmation cards. Bizarre. As a Christian husband, men, you are not left wondering or speculating about what it means to carry out your role in a way that pleases God and blesses your wife. To the contrary, the Bible is plain and provides clear guidance. You and I are to love our wives as Christ loves his church. In the closing verses of Ephesians chapter 5, and I do encourage you to turn there now in your copy of God's word, 
We see that we are to love our wife as Christ loves the church. Christ sacrificed himself to do for you what you could not do for yourself. Out of love, he sanctified us to God's purposes to set us apart so that we could live the life God created us to live. Out of love, he purified us so that he could put aside the sin that hinders us and instead give us his righteousness. As a good father, he provided nourishment and cherishing protection. He did this by the word of the gospel, and through it all has a great and final purpose in mind. This is how Christ loved the church. So this is how a husband is to love his wife. Let me tease you that out under these headings that we're going to be discussing. God disciples Christian men in how to love. God disciples Christian men in how to love. We are told that husbands are to love our, our wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. First, disciples of Christ love their wives with sacrificial love. Sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wife with a sacrificial love. I think that every husband is willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for his wife. Wouldn't you? I mean, if somebody was holding you and your wife hostage and said that they were going to kill one of you, I believe that every man in this room, every man that hears this, would say, take me, leave her alone. Good, you'll die for her. But will you and I live for our wives? This is not a one-time act that you do to get out in a blaze of glory, but while you and I may not be ever written up in a newspaper, it's a day-to-day -day dying to ourselves for the sake of our wives and God's glory. Here's a wonderful quote from John MacArthur. I don't know if you'll be able to read this um, up here. He says, The supreme responsibility of husbands in regard to their wives is to love them with the same unreserved, selfless, and sacrificial love that Christ has for his church. Christ gave everything he had, including his own life, for the sake of his church. And that is the standard of sacrifice for a husband's love of his wife. God's love is not bound to the object of his love being worthy or deserving. And aren't you and I glad of that? Because you and I, frankly, are not worthy or deserving of the grace, mercy, and love that God has poured out by the sacrifice of his Son. Each and every one of us is often very unlovable. Paul doesn't say to love our wives because they deserve it. We are commanded to love our wives. That's the issue. As disciples of Christ, we are to obey even when it is hard. Because of who we are this side of glory, none of us are always easy to love or worthy of unrestrained, unhindered affection. Husbands are not to come to the point of say, I love you because you're lovable, but instead, I love you, commit myself to you, and give you everything I have. It's not resignation, but the expression of an eager, joyful heart. My, uh, my two daughters, and I apologize if you've heard this story before, my two daughters were dating some young men, and they, um, they actually had to pursue the young men. 
they had to be the ones to initiate a call or a plan to do something. I saw their frustration and I said to them, you need, you need to stop now. You need to stop this relationship now. You don't want this to be this case, not only in your engagement, but what happens if you're married? I said, I want for you a man that loves you and pursues you and desires you and shows that by his actions, by his words, by his being proactive. And thankfully, both of them did that. They ended that relationship, and both of them now have such a relationship. Where there is a need, love does not do what it feels, but it does what is needed. Where there is a need, love acts sacrificially, and that is the husband's part in the marriage. So the question, men, we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to make those daily, even tiny, day-by-day sacrifices? Do we hold loosely to our time so that we can invest it in our wives? Do we hold loosely to our preferences so that we can cede to her preferences? Can we let go of some of our dreams so that they can achieve theirs? Are you willing to be kind and gentle? Can you live more for her good than for your own? It's not a difficult burden, but it's a tremendous honor. It requires communication. Here's a practical way to abandon our self-love that we can have. If we as men, as husbands, tend to be distracted by our own thoughts, we must abandon that self-love and think of our wife and give up self-centered ways and behavior. You've all probably heard this story before. A woman's diary. At the end of the day, she wrote, Tonight, I thought my husband was acting strange. We went to a nice restaurant for dinner. He seemed distracted. I thought he was upset by the fact that I was a bit late, but he said nothing about it. I asked him what was wrong. He said nothing. I asked him if it was something I had done. He said he wasn't upset. I had nothing to do with her and not to worry about it. On the way home, I told him that I loved him. He smiled slightly and kept driving. I can't explain his behavior. I don't know why he didn't say I love you back. When we got home, I felt as if I'd lost him completely. And again, he said nothing. He continued to seem distracted distant and absent. Finally, I decided to go to bed. After about 15 minutes later, he came to bed. He fell asleep right away, and I cried. I don't know what to do. I'm sure his thoughts are with someone else. I'm devastated. That's the last of her injuries to the diary. The husband's diary read, the boat wouldn't start today. Can't figure out why. We'll try. We'll try again tomorrow. It wasn't the end of their relationship, but he might want to think about getting rid of that boat. <laughs> How much of her burden in this little story, and you may have heard that before, could have been lifted with the realization that he needed to speak with the wife of his youth? Guys, there are lots of ways. There are some real-life scenarios that you can, you know, you, can, you may be called to sacrifice, you know, your time, your preferences, your desires, your plans as a husband. Your wife has been caring for a sick child all day. The house is a wreck. Dinner is not made. I used to get home, take one look at my wife and say, okay, you're out of here. You go. You're, 
gone, just go. And men, we can do that. Macaroni and cheese is not hard to make out of a box. Okay? You can be a dad. How about your wife is sick? You need to sacrifice yourself by taking care of her, the kids, dinner, whatever, laundry, and anything else she does. In addition to caring for her physical needs, in addition to those, these other minor sacrifices, you know, but how about this? Your wife experiences the death of a close friend or loved one. April Johnson just lost a dear friend. You know, and it's Lee's responsibility to help his wife through that grief. Never mind, men, if, if your wife is pregnant and has a miscarriage. There needs to be tenderness and understanding and patience. You know, you're getting ready to go on a fishing or a hunting trip. Not that fishing or hunting is wrong, but what if there's a conflict between that and your wife getting together for a women's conference? You need to seriously think about putting that off. How about your shopping for new furniture? You like the lazy boy recliner with the 14 cup holders, the back massaging unit, and, and she says, dear, that, that color just won't fit in our house. Well, maybe that lazy boy is not the right choice. Give her her preference. Isn't that, isn't that right? Yeah. Okay. Both the Van Cleves said yes. So, Let's move on. Disciples of Christ love their wives with a sanctifying love. A sanctifying love. Men, we need to love our wives with a sanctifying love. Jesus died so that he could set apart his bride for service to God. We need to understand that our wife doesn't exist first for our pleasure for our joy or our comfort. She exists first for God. She's been set apart for you, yes, but only so that you can help her evermore be set apart to God. Men, our wives exist to bring God glory, and part of that is by doing good to others. Our task as loving husbands is to be committed and creative to help her do this. Now, she may be shy. She may be reluctant to put herself out there. But part of our role in reflecting how Christ set the church apart for good works that he prepared beforehand is to help encourage our wives to be replete, rich, full in good works for others. Maybe helping someone move. You know? Guys, we can sacrifice in that way and Help our wives. You know, take things off the table. That was a great suggestion. Well, let's move on. You don't need to hear me sing again. Disciples of Christ love their wives with a purifying love. Husbands, love your wife with a purifying love. If a wife is to submit, it means a husband is to lead. And a key part of that, of that leadership is leading, guiding, and assisting her along the path to holiness. This puts a call on you and I to grow in holiness first. How can we possibly lead her where we've not gone ourselves? We need to identify our own sin and ruthlessly put it to death. It falls to us to lead the way in holiness, to lead the way in love, in character, in worship, in repentance, in maturity. And by the way, if you uh, are not in this class and have a chance to get Andrew Walden's notes on maturity, I highly recommend them. When we do this, we have the honor of accompanying our wives, the godly women in our lives, to grow in holiness. Now, let's be absolutely clear. Holiness is not about correcting all of what we think are little, 
flaws and foibles that we find annoying. It's not about perfectly conforming other people to our wills. It's all about helping someone grow in purity before God. It's about helping others put sin to death so that we all can come alive in righteousness. It's not rejoicing in sin, but it's rejoicing in God who is helping us to be who we are meant to be. It's identifying God's grace in her life. It's encouraging her in her spiritual growth and praising her and thanking God for every step that she takes in conformity to Christ. It's helping her be as pure and as holy as she possibly can be. Men, do you love your wife with a purifying love? Marriage sets two people apart for each other. And if a man really loves his wife, he seeks that which keeps her feet clean from the dust of the world, doing everything in his power to maintain her holiness, her virtue, and her purity. And gentlemen, may God put a millstone around our necks if we ever seek to drag our wives into sin. Gentlemen, part of our homework is to go over these things this coming week and to think about them and to talk with these, with our, the one whom our soul loves. Disciples of Christ love their wives by nourishing and cherishing. Husbands, love your wife with a true, vibrant, caring, and enriching love. Not only are you to care for her in the same way that you care for your physical body, when your wife has needs, you will tend to them. Like a child will flourish by providing their every need. We can be diligent to look after every aspect and in cherishing, provide an appropriate place for them to be continually growing and feeling secure and deeply cared for. Our Lord's care for his own and for the women in his ministry. Had you ever looked at that? Had you ever looked at how the Lord Jesus cared for, loved, appreciated, respected the women in ministry? You know, again, you've heard me say this before. I'll continue saying it. Anyone who, who foolishly, ignorantly says that Christianity denigrates women has absolutely no knowledge of the Judeo-Christian traditions and writings which elevate women and protect women and how Christ dealt with women and how Paul, you know, cared for women. B.B. Warfield, yeah, excellent example. Yeah. Spurgeon said this, a true wife is her husband's better half and his heart's treasure in her company. He finds his earthly heaven. I'm going to ask you to go to uh, another passage, Colossians chapter 3. If you would please open up God's word to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at uh, verses 12 through chapter 4 and verse 3 or 4. And this passage demonstrates very clearly uh, something very valuable with regard to how we nourish and cherish our wives. First notice, if you would, in this section, it begins with a lovely description of how God's people are to interact with each other. And so it begins in verse 12, Chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against one another. Just as the Lord forgave you, so you must do also. 
Let the peace of Christ, verse 15, to which you were indeed called in one body, rule in your hearts and be thankful. And then, listen to this. It sounds like a wonderful worship service. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. Immediately after these beautiful verses which appear to reflect a great uplifting time of Sunday morning worship, Paul runs right through a series of exhortations for people in different stations of life. Look at Colossians 3, verse 18. Verse 18, wives. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not become bitter. The English Standard Version says, harsh against them. Verse 20, children. Verse 21, fathers. Verse 22, slaves. And then down in chapter 4, verse 1, masters, grant your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. And remember, a lot of times in the New Testament especially, slaves were reflective of not people who were captured in bondage and subjected to harshness, but they were bond servants. They agreed to serve for a period of time. So please don't get distracted by that, by how we understand the word slave today in our culture and our American history. So immediately after this section, focusing on daily lives of many different people, Paul launches into an encouragement to be involved in eyes wide open prayer and thanksgiving focused on missionary endeavors. Let's look at verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying for us at the same time. Why? That God would open a door for his word, that we may proclaim the mysteries of Christ. Now, my point is this. My point is this. Part of our normal discipleship, part of how you and I obey God the Father and reflect that I am a bondservant, that you are a bondservant of Christ, involved in the glorious, soul-enriching service with a dedication upholding and encouraging the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, is that I love my wife and that there is no harshness, no bitterness in my communication and life with her. Let me say all that again. Part of my normal discipleship, part of how I obey God the Father and reflect that I am a bondservant of Christ Jesus involved in a glorious soul-enriching service with a dedication of holding and encouraging the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth, is that I love my wife without bitterness, without harshness in my communication and life with her. Could, do you see that in the passage? It's all tied together. It is all tied together. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Men, what can a husband say to encourage his wife and not discourage her? What can be said? First, I love you. Say that with me. I love you. Well, that was really weak, guys. I want you to go home and practice that. I am proud of you. You are beautiful. 
And I don't need you to sing the song, You Are So Beautiful, in a Joe Cocker voice, okay? And I'm not going to do that now, much to your delight. You are the only one for me. I trust you. I will take care of that. You are a wonderful mom. I would still choose you over again. You are right. I, I know it's, it's, it's unusual, Darren. Say this, say this after me. You are right. It's, it's hard, Darren. You go home and practice that. I'll give Penny a copy of these notes. Richard D. Phillips, and I believe you have this quote in front of you, says this, For our marriages to regain the love and unity God designed them to have, it is not merely a matter of wives submitting to the husbands in the Lord. Husbands, in fact, have the first and greatest responsibility. As we gain insight about our wives through our shared lives together and our attentive and cherishing interest in the affairs of their hearts, we must nourish our wives with God's word and with our own encouraging and upbuilding words informed by Scripture. So, disciples of Christ, godly husbands, Christian men, are to love with a sacrificial love, a sanctifying love, a purifying love, nourishing and cherishing love, and a gospel love. Disciples of Christ love their wives with a gospel love. Christ washes his church with the water of the word, which is the gospel. And in the same way, you and I are to wash our wives with the water of the word, which is the gospel. This means our husbanding is to be drenched with the gospel. Our love is to be shaped by the gospel. Our words are speaking the gospel. Our life is to display the gospel. We need to speak truth to our wives, lead her in the word of God, and remind her of precious gospel truths. To pray with her, to worship with her. Men, are we washing our wives with the water of the word? You know, there is a wonderful passage that I think we often can forget in 1 Peter 3, 7. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as the fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. We must ask ourselves, does my relationship with my wife reflect that I acknowledge my union with her in the redemptive work of Christ, or do I demean and denigrate my wife's spiritual condition. If the latter is the situation I find myself in, I might find that my prayers are not being answered. So am I seeking to understand my wife? Am I seeking to acknowledge what makes her tick? Am I studying her? What are her fears or concerns or hopes and insecurities? Again, another Spurgeon quote here. When husbands and wives are well yoked, how light their load becomes. Disciples of Christ 
love their wives with a purposeful love. A purposeful love. This couple is going up the stairs. They have a goal. They're going together. Husbands, we need to love our wives with a purposeful love. Wedding ceremonies are occasions of great joy, but even there, there's always just a hint of sorrow because of that one line, until death do we part. That's why we make vows like that. We may get 60 or 70 years with the bride, but then one of us will die, and in that moment, the marriage will be over. But the one who dies will not be over. Our wives do not cease to exist the moment that she dies. If she's in Christ, her life will just be getting started. A glorious and never-ending future. We need to keep that in view, men. Our tasks as husbands and our great joy is to help our wives prepare for what awaits her in eternity. It's helping her to become today what she will fully enjoy then. It's receiving glimpses of who and what she will be in glory. You and I, my friends, have the joy of helping our wives toward that great day. God has chosen and appointed us to be an instrument of grace and redemption. Men, do not waste that calling. Do not neglect the job that God has given you. We are accountable before the judge of all the earth as to how we fulfill that role. So live for her. Live for her. Resolve to live for her. To sacrifice all we've got for her good. Love her with a sanctifying love that's committed to setting her apart for the great purpose God has for her. Love her with a purifying love that helps her put, to, put sin to death and to live for righteousness. Love her with a love that shows an abandonment of self-love and self-focus and instead driven to delight and treasure her by nourishing and cherishing her. The love of a man who takes serious his disciplining by Christ is shaped by the gospel and whose life content is the gospel. Love her with a purposeful love that focuses on a mind and heart that are fixed on the great day before us. Men, Christ awaits the day that he will present the church in all of her glory to himself. Without spot, without wrinkle, for the purpose that she might be holy and blameless. This is his great goal. And gentlemen, this is our goal as well. May God give us the grace to recognize this and to work toward that end.